Health is a state of body and mind. Wellness is a state of being. We want you to have both. This is Channels of Health, the podcast giving you ideas and insights into new and time-tested avenues to health. From mental wellness and innovations in mental health to our daily lives and overall health journeys. Join your hosts, Patty and Damien, both founders of organizations dedicated to healing as they bring candid conversations and new information to you. Let's start the show. Here are your hosts, Patty and Damien. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Channels of Health. I'm here with Patty. How are you, sweetie? Good morning. I'm excited. Might not even be morning anymore. <laughs> yeah, we've uh, we've already had a pretty good morning chatting, and uh, we got excited. We do this a lot. We're sitting with our guest, Aaron. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, we did talk for almost 40 minutes without hitting record, which I got to just start hitting record. Um, but I'm sure we'll pick up a lot of that good information. Real quick, would you pronounce your last name so I don't destroy it for anyone? Yes, of course. Prendergast. Prendergast. Yes. All right. Aaron Prendergast. So, did I say it right? No. No. I didn't. I heard it. I heard it. <laughs> one more only, time. There's yeah. only one R. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And Prend- it's at the beginning. It's Prendergast. Gast. It's my fault. I blame you. Of course. So, uh, you know, we're really excited to have you on. And the way that Patty and I work is Patty has this gift to find incredible people. Uh, she has this ability to earn their trust at a pretty short period of time, you might have noticed. Um, and then she brings them in and we do a podcast and I typically don't really ever know anything about the guests and that, that's kind of on purpose. Okay. Um, we cheated and we had a quick connecting conversation ahead of time, so I know a little bit more about you, but for our listeners, go ahead and tell us kind of your general background, what you've been doing, That'll bring us up to kind of current. Sure. So since this is a healthcare podcast, mm-hmm. I'm an RN, registered okay. nurse, and I've, for 27 years, spent almost my entire career working for large hospital systems and uh, loving every minute of it. Mm-hmm. I had have always said I found my calling and I get a paycheck for it. So um, I feel blessed that I had a career um that I actually woke up every day and was excited to go to work. Yeah. Which How is, lucky was that? I, not not I, lucky, but fortunate. I, th- I yeah. feel like it was a blessing. For yeah. sure. Yeah, so. not many people can say that. Now, as a nurse, and you said 27 years, mm-hmm. was there a specific uh, focus in that whole time? I know towards the end there was, but kind of tell us about what you, your journey as a nurse, um, why you got into it, um, where you got the idea to be a nurse. We're looking for kind of why you even started as a nurse. The why. Yeah. So I have, my mother actually raised seven kids. Um, my dad traveled a lot and was always busy, and she was a nurse, and mm-hmm. the flexibility of the career where she was able to raise children, she could pull back, work nights if she needed to. She yeah. was always able to adjust her time because being a mom was her number one. Mm-hmm. Um, so my mom was a big influence, but it was not my first career. I actually graduated, uh, from Loyola University in Chicago with a marketing communications degree and worked for a large banking institution for, and their marketing department for, uh, four years. And, um, you know, it was a corporate atmosphere and, uh, I enjoyed my work, but I, it was not fulfilling to me. And it's, I'm that type of person. Yeah. I have to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing volunteer work and 
Um, I volunteered at a children's hospital in Dallas, and that's where I realized I've made an enormous mistake. <laughs> I picked the wrong career, and I went crying home one day and told my very supportive husband that I think I've made a big mistake. And he said, well, what's the mistake? And I said, I just don't think I like my job too much. And he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I, I want to be a nurse. And he's like... I've been trying to tell you that. It's, you Your know, husband is awesome. He's, he brings out the best in me. He really does. I I've think, met him. He's a great guy. He, Thank you. He brings out the best in me, and I kind of feel like I bring out the best in him. We're a good team. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said, you know, get started. So I drove myself down to Baylor University School of Nursing, walked in, talked to the dean at the time, the assistant dean, who was a saint, mm-hmm. because she allowed me 40 minutes to say, I really want to go back to school, and um, I want to be a student here. I was one of the oldest in the class, um, and the rest is history. That's awesome. So, Great story. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. So now you're a nurse. Talk so about So when road. I first started, the important thing about nursing, and my mom taught me this, was that, uh, you know, you'll never know everything. Um, bedside is where you really learn it all. You have to be a good, good communicator, but more importantly, you have to be a good listener. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'll never know what's going on with someone simply by vital signs. And so bedside nursing was where I started. Oh, and okay. I worked on a neuro unit. I've worked on um, a med surge unit. I did mother baby for a while. I worked in a hyperbaric chamber. Um, and then I took a pause and reset when I had children, I had two babies and tried to work and it just didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. So again, my husband said, what are you doing? You know, (laughs) why don't you stay home for a little bit? So I ended up staying home until they were in school full time. And then when I went back, I worked for a women's imaging center at a large hospital here in Dallas, which, um, I'm going to be brutally honest. Mm -hmm. The hours were perfect for me, for, for my family. And that's simply the reason why I took the job. It was no weekends, um, no holidays, and it was perfect for being a mom. Yeah. And what I didn't realize was that it was um, a God moment for me because it ended up being an, a calling for me mm. uh, because I worked with women undergoing diagnostic testing for breast cancer, and it, um, it became somewhat of a this isn't a job anymore this is a calling oh yeah and it then it segued into oncology which is what I've done for the rest of my career so pretty much for the last 16 years yeah that's what I was just gonna so you've been in oncology specifically with breast cancer correct yes so Mm -hmm. talk about you've shared some stories with me Mm -hmm. about the patients and how you help them and how confusing it is when they first get the diagnosis, et cetera. Can you talk a little bit about the journey of a patient when they first get their diagnosis and, and how little they know and what they need? Yes, yeah, so that's really the most uh, important time is, you know, we, we one of my biggest responsibilities was as um, within this position was education. So we did a lot of prevention education and talk about getting your mammograms and you know, it's all over billboards and, you know, we all know what we're supposed to do. But when you go in and have a mammogram and I was one of the nurses that would call you back if, if a radiologist saw something that we needed to do, what's called a diagnostic exam, just to explore, you know, something's changed from last year. We need you to come back. So that's a 
difficult phone call to make. Yeah. And it's one that's dreaded by everyone um, that gets their mammogram. They don't want to be called back. And unfortunately, when you do, it's very nerve wracking. And oh my God, I have cancer. No, that's not what we're saying. You know, so again, it goes back to communication skills and having um, that sense of, I would, you know, you would know immediately what type of person you're talking to. Are they pragmatic? Are they emotional? So, you know, you got to be quick at gauging how this phone call is going to go. And it's a phone call, so you don't see the faces. Sometimes if they had a a same-day visit, we would see them you know and okay. but most mostly it was phone calls so it's got to be a hard call for you to make like yeah you and, okay. and leaving a message you get you know you have to leave a message this is Aaron I'm one of the nurses at such and such and um, please call me back well of course they and it then of course if they call back and they get voicemail that's not going to go well yeah so instant panic so um so that's basically uh what I did I worked with a phenomenal radiology team and uh, learned a lot about uh, radiology and, um, you know, uh, the importance of mammography, the importance of preventions. Um, So I did this for 11 years. And uh, at the time, navigation was coming uh, to become very important at cancer centers across the country because it's a part of of accreditation that you have to have navigators in place. What is a navigator? So that's funny you asked that because for a long time I I really struggled on how to answer it even with my mother you know who's a nurse she would say now Erin what is it you're doing now again? Because it's not necessarily bedside nursing, but what an oncology navigator does, and this is um, a certification that uh, primarily is education, being able to uh, speak on behalf of, you know, what did you hear the doctor say? Mm How can I explain this? If you have more questions, it's uh, it's a certif. I'm a certified breast cancer nurse, so um, having the certification, having the credentialing, um, knowing how to answer not just cancer questions, but also being a valuable resource right, right. because you have to be able to really. Um, hone in on what is the patient really worried about in addition to the cancer. Maybe they're having difficulty at work. Maybe they're going through a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they uh, don't have a support system. Maybe they're struggling with their faith. So it's a, it's a, it's a deep assessment that goes way further than a physical ex- assessment that I learned in nursing right. school. So how sure. new is that? And are navigators available in other walks of the That's medical field? Yeah. Well, so uh, Dr. Harold Freeman was the founder of Navigation, and actually he was doing it way before we ever even called it as such. Um, he was an oncologist, and uh, he, he's the one that coined the phrase. Mm-hmm. So um, most cancer centers across the country are now have Navigation in place, and I encourage any patient that has cancer or newly diagnosed with cancer, ask. Mm-hmm ask your oncologist if you have a nurse navigator what i what i see the role the importance of the role is is you're a conduit to the chaplain you're a conduit to the social worker you're a conduit to the dietitian um patients don't even know what's available to them we don't know what we don't know correct so that's that's a wonderful yeah 
I wanted to dig in a little bit because, uh, and I could be completely wrong. This might be one of those times where I have to edit this out. But uh, <laughs> when you were explaining what this is, mm -hmm. it seemed like it means a lot to you. Like oh, your yes. energy shifted when you were explaining what these navigators do. Mm -hmm. You still very much resonate and connect. Is there, was there a, I don't know how to ask the question the right way. It seems like you were doing great work. But once you stepped into this, did it feel like this was your thing? Absolutely. Like you had real ownership of this. Mm -hmm. Like I see it. You still oh, have. Yeah. That means a lot to you. Yeah, because Can you I explain just. Why that is? Well, I feel like um, I try to put myself in someone else's shoes. I think that's the way we learn all our lessons. Yeah. You know, you have to be able to be that person. To yes, and which is you know, empathy is. After sympathy, um, you know, empathy is being able to feel what they're feeling. Compassion is when you can act on it. But so ha being that person where you can listen carefully to what uh, someone is telling you, and in this case, a patient, and being able to not only empathize with them, but be able to act on it where you have a team of people and you're able to tell them, you know, you, of course, you're not going to say everything's going to be okay because sure. everything may not be yeah. okay. So having the skill set to be able to communicate with them and give them reassurance that they need. Mm -hmm. So in empowering patients, I think empowerment is really vitally important. Uh, my initial conversations with patients, um, the very first time I talk about, you know, there's three things that you have to have begin you know in order for this to be uh successful because it's a team right we're your team so you need to have clarity you need to have communication and you need to have trust mm -hmm. so i would consider the first to be communication if you're going to walk into an appointment with a doctor and you're going to sit there and you're just going to listen you're not going to ask any questions um most people don't even know what to ask, so it's not because they don't want to. It's because they don't know how or what to say. Some level of shock the entire time. Correct. You know, a lot of times I see people in this, they're just, they're not even there. Like yes. you're talking to them and their minds are someplace else, right. you know. I so. saw it all the I'm time. Sure. I'm sure you did. And again, that goes back to your question. So this is where I, you know, I would have this conversation with patients before their appointments. Mm -hmm. So we would call all the new patients and I would say, I highly recommend that you bring a list of questions. What's keeping you up right now at night? Mm -hmm. Write those things down, put them aside, and bring them to the appointment. Bring someone with you. Your cortisol level when you're stressed out is off the chart. I'm sure. So you're not going to capture everything that we're telling you, so you need a second set of ears. So communication, huge. And then you have to have clarity because we can sit here like we are right now and we're having a conversation. But if I leave here with, yeah. and I don't have a clue what we've just talked about, yeah. that's not clarity, right. right? So you have to have clarity. And then the last and most important thing is you have to have trust in your team. So if, you know, patients would ask me, Erin, um, I'm, I'm going to go get a second opinion. And I'm afraid to tell the doctor that I'm going to go, right. you know. Yeah. Damien and I talk about that a lot, yeah. about getting the, you know, being an advocate for yourself. And, and I know I've had that kind of struggle as well. I've been with a particular 
person for 37 years. Yeah. And so getting a second opinion is a really big thing. Yeah. So Damien and I have frequently talked about advocating for yourself. So clarity and to so go ahead with your second so, opinion. So yes, yeah. so uh, absolutely. So um, I would encourage them and I would tell them, I would be very frank and say, if you're afraid that you're going and being an advocate for yourself and getting another opinion, it, which will give you confirmation perhaps, right. But if you're afraid of that, then that's not a good relationship you have with your team. So how can we get to that point where we gain your trust and it's okay Mm -hmm. to go do that? And as a matter of fact, I would tell them, you're my favorite patient because you make my job easier because I don't have to teach that point with you. Right, right. It's probably an uncomfortable thing to be dealing with such a sensitive subject and be telling people you also need to be looking elsewhere for more information to make sure that what you're getting is accurate. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like oh, that's yeah. a, yeah. where else do you go where yeah. mechanics don't do that? Nobody right. else is like, Hey, no, you could trust us. Just make sure you go get another opinion. Like that's a trust, but verify. <laughs> right. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. 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 What would you say out of the, the navigation piece, the navigation uh, job description for lack of, mm-hmm. What was the most important? Because you talk so much about listening, like mm-hmm. active listening, and mm-hmm. actually, so without us spending the whole podcast talking about what we already know, most people have a good amount of knowledge about cancer, breast cancer. Of course, none of us know at a level that you would know it, or someone who's experienced would know. Well, it. and I don't know it all either. Right. You know. Right. So. But what I love about this is we're not having a conversation about cancer per se we're having a conversation about helping people correct with cancer which is such a different conversation mm-hmm. yeah so if you don't mind me just putting it down to a point what would you say was the most important skill set that you had to develop as a navigator to help people with cancer i think um knowing staying very abreast and astute on you know education is vitally important because you know you have to know what you're talking about i worked with great teams at both institutions that i worked with we relied on each other i always told patients if i don't know the answer i'm going to find it for you Mm -hmm. but getting to the bottom of what did you hear what do you know what do you want to know and how can i help you get there so that we can because you have to have an engaged patient in order for them to uh, really, um, I don't want to use the word success, mm-hmm. but you know, you want to give people hope. Hope is really in cancer. They have to have hope. You get that, you hear that word cancer and automatically your mind just goes to a place. And when I say yeah. you, I mean any of us, sure. right? you yeah. know, where, Oh my God, it's like getting in a front end car collision. And I tell patients that this is almost like you were driving And it's not like you were being negligent, Mm -hmm. right? But all of a sudden the car in front of you slammed on their brakes and you just hit them from behind and that's the same feeling of of what happens in cancer where you're moving along, life is good, um, work is good, you know, kids are good, Mm -hmm. everything's good and bam, you have cancer now. So I think for me, the most important thing I took away from my job was um, being able to help people throughout their entire journey. Mm -hmm. Like I loved bedside nursing, but I would take care of patients and I would meet them and know them for a couple of days. And when they're discharged, you never see them again, or hopefully not. But this was a role that I could actually 
Um, and I would always tell patients, you're in charge of this. I'm here throughout the whole process. Mm -hmm. So here's how to reach me. Here's, you know, here's how you can utilize uh, my knowledge and my resources. And then you let me know how I can help you all along this journey. And for some people in the beginning, highly important. They would be calling me every day, you know, um, with multiple questions. And then I wouldn't hear from them again until maybe, you know, four months down the road and they have a question, it was always good to hear from people. Yeah. But there were certain people that I knew, this is somebody that I'm going to have to stick close by hmm. for, you know, and, and red flags to me, people that come to appointments alone, um, elderly that, sure. you know, uh, they, they, you know, I always worried about my older patients, you know, younger patients, they just tend to have friendships and, right. You know, we know that our elderly people have less resources and support systems. Mm-hmm. And so um, so that was a long answer to that question, no. Damien. No, it was, a, it was a good answer. And I wrote something down that you mentioned okay. before we got started that I, I want, because we're going to move next into what you're doing now. Sure. Or what you're looking to okay. do. But you said something that really connected. And I'd like to hear if this was taught to you or if this is your kind of what you came up with, right? Okay. The sympathy, empathy, compassion Mm -hmm. concept. Um, Obviously, we all know those terms, but I haven't heard that from the standpoint that you were just communicating to where compassion is, you take action. So can you kind of explain to our audience and myself those three tiers? So, yes. So to answer that, I was taught and I learned. Okay. So we can all be taught something, but if we don't learn from it, right? (laughs) You never heard it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I've been blessed in my entire career that I've worked with some really phenomenal people, nurses, physicians, social workers, chaplains, um, the gamut. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I, I think it's something that is in my heart that it was always there because I feel like nurses become nurses because, you know, you just have something special. Um, and that's not discounting, you know, any Mm -hmm. other career. It's just, you simply want to help people. Right. And most of the time there are people that are sick. So that's the foundation of becoming a nurse in the first place. So for me, it was kind of ingrained. And in the beginning, it was, you know, I see sympathy as you hear, let's say, for example, uh, your, you know, your mother passes away. My mother just passed away recently myself. And you get a card from someone in the mail, a symp- what we call a sympathy card. And that's lovely because they went an extra step to tell you they're thinking about you. Mm-hmm. They write you a little note. They put a stamp on it. And then I'm on the receiving end. And it meant a lot to me right. um, to get something handwritten. So that's sympathy to me. That's somebody that's thinking about you in time of need. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my prayers are with you. Acknowledges right? your, your struggle. Yeah. So, yes, it's an acknowledgement. Okay. Empathy is where um, you're able to send the card but then you're able to write in the card, I lost my mother recently too. I understand what you're going through. Yeah. Right? And if you need me, um, let me know. Or even more, even better, there's not a question of if you need me, it's mm-hmm. I know you're going to. Right. Would you like to go to lunch next yeah. week? So that's empathy. That's getting in the ditch with them. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And that doesn't discount the people that sent the sympathy no. card. Very right? different right? things. That's yeah. a good distinction. Yes. It yeah. I like that. 
Because empathy, you know, you're able to say, I've been through this mm-hmm. and I know what you're going through. So that's right. empathy. Yeah. And, and then compassion is the ultimate to me because I would have patients that would actually ask me, Aaron, have you ever had cancer? Do you know what this is like? And my answer was no. You know, so really you could say that I couldn't um, empathize with right, them, right. which I would immediately acknowledge mm-hmm. that, no, I have not been through this, but I have been through this enough with many, many people right. over many, many years that I feel like I'm in a position where I can help you yeah. if you allow me to. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, but compassion is where you have that extra something inside where you're able to take the sympathy, take the empathy, and you, you can act on, mm-hmm. on what you're it's doing. actionable. Yeah. Right. But so to you, your point, I love Aaron, mm-hmm. you couldn't empathize with them. However, you could have compassion for them. Mm-hmm. So you don't necessarily have to empathize to be able to get to compassion. That's correct. Yeah. Because I don't think there's steps. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. I, I think, yeah. Aaron, I know you have compassion for your patients because of what you can do to help them. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be one, two, and three. Right, right. and it's sure. not like if you're missing one, then you have a deficit. Right. Yeah. But that's how I kind of distinguish the three, and it really helped me throughout my career being able to know when, um, you know, when to push forward, when to pull back, when you know, who I needed to go to Mm -hmm. at different points in my career to, you know, I need to be better at this. Right. Um, I, I, I'm a, what, one, one of my, you know, I definitely have faults, but one of my greatest strengths is that that I'm able to communicate well. Mm -hmm. It's just, I think some people it's inside, they just can't do it. And I've worked with some of the best doctors in my career that were, not able to communicate as well, or they did, but you know, then they're gone, poof, they're out of the room. Right. So that's where, you know, a really good nurse that has great communication skills can come in and say, what did you just hear? Mm -hmm. And how can I help you understand exactly what was just said? Doesn't mean that, you know, he's a horrible doctor. No, he's a fantastic one. He just, you know, for whatever reason, that's where it's about, it's all about the team, Yeah, you know, and I never felt alone in my career either. You know, you're never solo. Mm -hmm. And the minute you think you are, you need to, you're in trouble. Yeah. You're in big trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) well, it, it definitely seems like the, I could stay on this space, sympathy, empathy, compassion. I'll probably talk to you about this for a long time. You know, the more we talk, because, uh, you made a really good point since you hadn't had cancer. And mm-hmm. one way they would say, well, then you have no idea what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. But because you hadn't had cancer, you were able to work with so many thousands of people, mm-hmm. I would assume by now, yes. who've had cancer. So you provide something that the person with cancer would never be able to provide. So what I love about this is there's this westernized concept where one person's supposed to be all things to all people. Right. But it really is that team mm-hmm. dynamic. Just last week we were talking about we're working on a documentary about healers. Oh, wow. What healers yeah, really are today. Exciting. And you yeah. know what we have found out? I'm going to tell her because you it. just brought yeah, it up. Yeah. I'm going to tell you on podcast. Okay. We've been working on this now for over a year. And the modern day American healer, in our opinion, shows up in nurses. Wow. That's We're awesome. doing a documentary on nurses. Oh, because my goodness. This is no coincidence no. that you're I here today, it. Aaron. Last Friday, Yay. we were having a production meeting talking yeah. about... 
because we want to be careful. We're not saying there's something wrong with doctors. We're not saying it's not about that. Yeah. Where are the people that have the heart to heal? Right. Because nurses don't make a phenomenal amount of money. I've got tons of friends that are nurses. Right. Kate, all these people that we know that are friends, it's a job. It's work, man. It's work. It's hard work. It's hard, hard work. And the only way you can stay in it and not go insane is to have the compassion. Mm -hmm. I don't think the empathy will keep you there. Mm -hmm. I don't think sympathy. You know, you can't thoughts and prayers yourself through being a nurse. There's just no way you can do that. And so what we have found is in the Western medical system, the place where the most real healer heart people gather is in the nursing section, yes. you know? And that leads us to the next thing. Okay. I didn't even mean to do I that. I love that's it. So that, good. That's so exciting. Yeah, yeah and you that. didn't even know. I mean, no. it's... Well, I was going to tell you, but... That's exciting. <laughs> the list of things that you didn't know coming here yeah. is so fun. Uh, so... Now talk to us about what you're doing, because I'm following the track. The healer heart, the healer mindset, mm-hmm. eventually gets exhausted, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, I want you to, but there's an exhaustion that comes from feeling like you can't do everything you need to do. You know? Correct, yes. Um, and most of the people that I meet that are in transition from where you are, and mm-hmm. there's a lot oh, yeah. of people that are transitioning from this healing, compassion space, it's almost like this democratizing is happening. Like mm-hmm. you've got these big systems that are in place that you have to have, but people that want to heal and see people healed, they're looking to fill in the little spaces in between, mm-hmm. the communication, the resource management, how do I find this? So I know that the answer is you don't fully know what all you're doing, but yeah. tell our audience, <laughs> bring okay. us the speed because you just talked about this incredible depth of knowledge and experience of working with people with cancer. Now tell us as of a week ago, yes. what you're doing. Well, I'm calling it a pause and reset. <laughs> Good. You know, I refuse to say retire because I'm not I just can't visualize myself in retirement. And Mm -hmm. even if I get to that space, Mm -hmm. I'm certainly not going to be not, not doing something. Right. right? Right. So, um, so I'm doing what, what I've decided is a pause and reset where what we can talk about the elephant in the room, you know, COVID hit and it Mm -hmm. kind of blew up everything in, in, in my world. Right. I'll just speak on for myself. Um, and, you know, I remember going to work in the very beginning and wondering, you know, am I putting my life at risk? You know, is this really smart? Right. Do I really, do I love it that much that I'm willing to put my, my health in danger, my family in danger? You know, none of us knew what this was. And then we're told, okay, we're going to start putting, wearing masks now and we need you to stay six feet apart. Well, I can't even begin to tell you how that impacted the way I deliver care with patients because, you know, touch is very important for healing. And the idea that I wasn't going to be able to touch my patients or hug my patients or smile at my patients because, you know, you you have a mask on. Mm. That just was almost too much to, you know, get my head around. Too much disconnect. So, you know, it became a little bit mechanical for me Mm -hmm. because we're all kind of in shock. It's kind of like a bomb went off and everyone is walking around with, you know, I just, 
because it was the um, 20th anniversary of 9-11, I was watching yeah. all the documentaries on that. And one of the most powerful pictures to me of 9-11 was the um, woman that's literally covered head to toe in soot, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, in her beautiful suit. Yeah. Um, that's kind of how I felt in mm. the first few weeks after, you Just know. Just the fallout from well, it. Well, yeah, yeah, because even, you know, and I, have, I had great managers, great, uh, you know, we were all... They were doing the best they could to protect us, you know, by saying, this is what we have to do. You can no longer eat lunch together. We don't want your masks off and yeah. eating in the same room. So eat in your workstations. And, you know, that there again, that goes back to my comment from earlier. It's all about the team. When you right. start going solo, you're in trouble. Yeah. Well, it kind of forced us all to, you know, we're interacting with our team members differently now. And then you're wondering about your team members and what precautions they're mm -hmm. taking at home mm -hmm. and what they're bringing back to work. So now you're having a little doubt yeah. about people that you once respected because maybe they don't see this as alarming as you do. Mm -hmm. So these were all the emotions that were going on in the beginning. And um, then vaccines start being talked about. And I'll be honest, I... Uh, for personally for me and everything was a personal decision for, I think for all of us right. is that uh, I pulled back on everything. Mm -hmm. I quit all my memberships, my gym memberships. I am, you know, I was not comfortable going into restaurants. Yeah. Um, I didn't go to my book club anymore. Uh, for a long time we were doing zoom, which was lovely, sure. yeah. but I wasn't ready to go back when everybody else did simply because I got my, you know, my mind in this place where I have to protect myself. It was a self-protection mode mm -hmm. and I have to protect my family because mm -hmm. I don't really don't know what all this is about. Right. And then I had this little anxiety about going back to gatherings because I'm, you know, you're the nurse in the room. So everybody wants to talk to you about what do you think about uh, the vaccine? Yeah. Sure. And, do I get yeah. vaccinated or do I wait? And yeah. it, exactly. Yeah. And no I, one ever asked me my thought on vaccines. It's, <laughs> it's curious. <laughs> Davian, editor, what do you think on vaccines? I've never yeah. had that happen. Yeah. Well, and I'm not an expert, but you know, part of my needing to get back to normal was getting over the fact that I'm going to be asked questions. And those yeah. were the questions that I didn't want to answer. Sure. Cause you know, I'm coming back to a social setting to get away from that. Right. And yet, you know, the tendency is right. Well, you're the nurse in the room. What can I ask you exactly. about nursing? And yeah. do I feel safe doing this? And and I wasn't comfortable even answering questions because you know none of us knew really. Right. I, we were getting guidance every day from leadership in the hospital, and we were getting statistics. And here's how we're going to keep patients safe. Primarily, here's how we're going to keep you safe. I never felt unsafe. Uh, I just um, I was weird. I got weary. Mm -hmm. It was difficult. Physically, I started not sleeping well. Um, uh, and then, of course, you have what we all had. I think we can collectively say that I had worried about my elderly family members. Oh, yeah. You know, my mother at the time was alive. I was, uh, you know, needing to take care of her. At one point, it became impossible for me because she was in a different state. Right. Of course, we couldn't fly. So things just got really enormously complicated. Yeah. And therefore, the job that I love, that I talked about 20 minutes ago, mm -hmm. you know, became something that I still love, but it became uh, problematic. Yeah. Do you have any idea how your colleagues 
felt about this? Were, were you like one of a whole lot of people? Because mm -hmm. we hear a lot about the fallout of nurses and doctors and, and how they're, they're leaving yeah. the industry or the profession or whatever because this has worn them out so much. They, they really have yeah. fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you can't be the only person that would be expressing these issues. Well, and, um, you know, and I, I have come to a real sound understanding of what's going on for myself. Yeah. You know, we call it compassion fatigue, and it's something that I was always consciously aware of. But mine went further than that. Mine went to, you know, is this really what I want to do? Do I, um, there, oh, some questions were popping up that had never popped up before. And that's not good for my patients mm. okay. because you got to be 100% every day. And not just 100%, you got to be 110. Yeah. Because no. they're counting on you, right? Yeah. You got to be 110 for all the people you work with because they're counting on you. You know, you have a team. It's not solo. Yeah. So your team members are <clears throat> counting on you. Your patients are counting on you. And um, so I, I came to the realization that even though I love, love, love what I, what I do and what I did, it's, it, it was just time for me to take a pause. And I, it's been the biggest blessing that I think I've ever given to myself. Mm. Um, I finally come around to the idea that I'm doing something for myself. And I got a little bit inspired by watching the Olympics when Simone Biles pulled out of the Olympics yeah. because she felt, you know, she called it the twisties. Mm. But um, I remember you know, thinking how horrible that was that she was being criticized that she let her team down. And then right. suddenly I was thinking, that's kind of how I'm feeling right now. Like if I decide to pause and take a reset, I'm letting my team down. So I had to come around to that whole idea mm -hmm. and then be comfortable with, I'm just going to step back right now. So that's what I'm doing. I love the fact that you have not retired. No. I think that's really important, and I like the fact that you're phrasing it as a pause, because mm -hmm. it's just like when anybody needs a mental health day or a vacation, mm -hmm. they need to step away for a period of time. Whatever that window is, whatever that period is, when you come back to reset, it is going to be glorious. Yeah. I think so. Well, and, yeah. and this will sound grandiose, but leadership mm -hmm. really is doing the hard thing. Um, a lot of the people that I know who have had to step away from however they are contributing to society, because a lot of people in multiple police, so many people from the pandemic, just it blew the circuits. It just overwhelmed all of our systems. Right. And I think a lot of people are having this moment. And you, from a leadership standpoint, I, you haven't been using the term leadership. I'm using that term. Well, thank you. I it's leadership it. to say, I feel like I'm abandoning my team, but I know that I'm going to do more damage than good. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, not that you would, you haven't even mentioned the term reputation or friendships or whatever. I think it will be seen as strength, not when we needed them the most. You right. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, because, I, I mean, you're the third nurse that I now know personally that has left the nursing profession because of what happened during the pandemic. Yeah. And it's interesting going back to your sympathy, empathy, compassion. There's no such thing as sympathy fatigue. There's no such thing as empathy fatigue. There's only compassion fatigue. That's and I right. thought of that when you yeah. said that. 
because yeah. compassion is the action. Mm-hmm. So you don't really get tired of buying cards. Like you got to right. be a lazy bastard to have sympathy. <laughs> I have sympathy. <laughs> I might cut that out, but dude, I've sent so many cards. I'm oh, just done. Yeah, you might want to cut, but that's okay. Yeah. But it's true, and and I think yeah. it's the people who and Patty knows this about me almost more than anybody. Mm-hmm. People who are taking action mm-hmm. need to be seen differently than other people who aren't taking action, like actual action. And what I mean by that is. Um, I was diagnosed with PTSD years ago and I had a hard time with that because I always said, well, I didn't earn PTSD. I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't in the military. I wasn't, you know, first responder. Right. And everybody would be like, that's not how that works. To me, there's only two separations. There are people who are out in the world that experience things and get PTSD. Yes. And then there's a lot of people who don't have it simply because they never really ventured out they didn't take many risks, many abusive moments, right? right? I'm not talking about childhood trauma. Yeah. So when we're talking about people stepping away, you're stepping away from the action that was required of you because of your compassion. Mm-hmm. You're not stepping away because, oh, your empathy. Right. You know, I right. find that super fascinating. The people who have had to do the action are having to retreat and heal back up. And why? Yeah. The only reason we haven't even gotten to this while you don't know fully what you're doing, the things that you're looking at doing are all to heal more people faster. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So great observation. Yeah. I'm really, let's, yeah. really liking it. Yeah. Let's go into okay. here towards the end, because I want to be mindful of our time. Sure. We won't hold you to any of this. Okay. Right? Right. But you have a super unique, unusual vantage point on something. You've been in a space You've been in the trenches with people, right? The empathy. You've been in there Mm -hmm. helping them pull them out of the ditch. You've seen them through. You've also been there with people who didn't make it. You've seen the families affected. Like, we could peel this onion forever. Sure. By any other industry, we would call you a subject matter expert. You don't want to be a cancer subject matter expert, (laughs) and I'm not saying that. But your experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Pretty close. Yeah. Right? So what would you say, while you've been experiencing all that, has been missing? And what is it that your heart is, what is it you're trying to figure out that you can do? Is it just better information for people? Is it more access? Kind of dial us in on what you're looking for. Uh, I think it's all of that. Okay. Honestly, I think it's all of that. And I think that, um, you know, um, the importance of, for me, the importance of my pause and reset is what will be the next step for me. And um, I, I tend to think of others before myself. Mm-hmm. So this is uncomfortable for me a little bit because to wake up and think, wow, I have all day. You know, what can I do for myself <laughs> I today? Bet. And oh, I, ended sure. up, I end up doing things for my family, mm-hmm. I, you know. Um, so I'm really trying to be more mindful of my actions right now and making sure that I'm, my pause and reset is truly a pause and reset. Sure. And, um, I'm a faithful person, so I'm diving deep into that as well Mm -hmm. and trying to reconnect with, you know, being more still and listening. Cause I know, I think a lot of things happen and happen in when we're quiet. Oh yeah. So, um, I'm spending a lot of quiet time and, um, and I know there's more to come. 
I know there's a lot more to come. I mm-hmm. have a personal family member who uh, was diagnosed with cancer mm-hmm. just in the last few months. Sorry. And um, thank you. It's been a difficult, you know, it's been yeah. a, it's been a difficult experience yeah. because it's a whole different deal when it's your family. I was just about to say, we're sitting here talking about how long you've been around cancer and your whole face just changed when you talked about it. It is so different. When it's, it's happening in your tribe, in your family, it hits you in a completely different way. Oh, I yeah. can only imagine. And, yeah. you know, I have several, well, there's seven of us in my family, seven six siblings, and I'm number six of seven, and it's uh, number five, so it's just not fair. We're all young, and it sure. came out of nowhere, and it's, um, you know, it's been an eye-opening experience for me because I'm having to be... Uh, an advocate for, for, you know, for a family member. Mm-hmm. And it's completely different. Not to say that I would do less for my patients, <clears throat> but there's a lot more emotional investment in t- tied into this. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so that's been a, a unique experience for me as well. Interesting, the timing. And I say this yeah. with immense respect, and you don't know me at all, so I'm very careful. But isn't it interesting, the timing, that when you are stretching out to find what, how to help people and what's missing, you experience it firsthand? Mm-hmm. Because now, as you're going through this firsthand, you get to finally answer the question on the empathy side. When people like, have you ever, like, now you're in it. Right. Now you're seeing it. Mm-hmm. You're going to understand what people are going through in a way that you never could, even though you've been doing this for 20 years, however many years it's been. I already lost the amount of years you've been yeah. doing this. So the timing of that is well, fascinating. And it's, and yes, it is. And I, that goes back to my faith. I know. There's yeah. a reason why this happened. But yeah. um, not the cancer, but the reason for my pause and reset. Right. I right. truly believe that. Yeah. Um, but it, the, the interesting part about this is that I'm dealing with a system in a different state. And so I feel lost, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it's a, it's a cancer that I'm not familiar with. You know, my knowledge base is all breast cancer. Sure. And this is a different type of cancer that I know nothing about. In another state, in another system. Correct. Interesting. So now I'm having to use all the tools that I teach. Yeah. Um, you know, ask the questions while managing the emotional state. Correct. Wow. So, um, so, you know, that's been a whole learning curve for me too. And being there to, uh, support and help. And one thing that I haven't mentioned yet that I think is really, really important in cancer care is that we tend to think of the patient, right? The person with the cancer, right? Well, cancer affects everyone yeah. the whole family. there's children involved right. at sometimes mm-hmm. there's um, parents that mm-hmm. have a lot of guilt when I have a young 30 year old patient that comes in with her mom mm-hmm. I'm working really hard to um, you know be aware of how that mom is feeling right. when she's sitting in right. that appointment so it if you know spouses I wish it were me and mm-hmm. not her you know, so there's just a lot of dynamics. So, um, you know, caregivers need a lot too. And so that is, you know, I'm acutely aware of that as well. Yeah. Um, because I know that my, you know, my family member's family is going to need a lot of support right. as well. Right. Aaron, so. step back a minute. You mentioned guilt. Mm-hmm. Parents have guilt over their children getting cancer. 
Yes, I've seen it we, many we've times. We've talked about that whole, yeah. the whole guilt and the no. shame and yeah. the, the stigma and all that. Talk a minute about, because it's not logical a lot of times when we embrace guilt. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that people have guilt over that they didn't do or didn't cause. Yeah. Talk about that a minute. What do they, do they feel survivor's guilt or what are you saying? Oh yeah, I've seen that. Those are two different things. Um, I've seen survivor's guilt, but um, the parental guilt I've seen many times where if there's a genetic mutation, right. you know, let's say a BRCA1 or 2 mutation, there's a lot of guilt in, in that whole scenario where I pass this on to my child. Right. And um, which goes back to the importance of high-risk programs where we get those patients, you know, if, if we, and we teach this, you know, if you have a parent that has a genetic mutation, you would certainly want to know if the child does. Sure. And that's hard sometimes mm. because they don't necessarily want to have testing and then worry about that for the rest of their life. But with worry, what, what combats worry to me is empowerment. Yeah. And so if we can continue to empower, mm -hmm. you know, by giving information, by providing education, we can hopefully alleviate some of the worry right. that comes with that. So yeah. I'm, I'm a big believer in empowering people. But yes, I've seen it many times where <laughs> a parent will come to an appointment with um, their, and when I say child, it's not a child. Sure. You know, adult child. A, yeah, <laughs> correct. Um, and, you know, you can see it, the yeah. distress. Mm. And I mm. don't ignore <clears throat> that. You know, I, you have to gauge, do they want to talk about it? Um, how are we going to bring this together? So if it does need to be discussed, we need to talk about it. And then, you know, m the, the, uh, the other really, really important um, factor that I haven't discussed yet is that you have psychologists on your team too, which you know as a nurse, I've got only so much time, so much knowledge, so much information, but then it, they're, and I call it staying in my lane. Mm. And I learned this from a nurse that I worked with many years ago um, that I'll never forget, but these are the lessons we teach each other where you stay, you learn to stay in your lane and it's really important. And that's why you have other people to rely on that have the expertise. Right. So if you see something that needs to be addressed on a professional level, that my conversation isn't gonna, you know, isn't right. only touching the surface, that's when a referral goes in. Right. That's what you got your team for. Yeah. Do you and have genetics counselors as well? That yes. You work with? I think that's really important, especially as you talk about yeah. the heredity yeah. aspect of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fabulous genetic counseling Talk team. Talk a minute about that, because I think a lot of people don't really understand the role of a genetics counselor. So, uh, yes, and um, you're absolutely correct. And they are I, the, some of the smartest people that I worked with in my career. Hmm. They are highly trained. And, um, and what basically happens when there's a genetic referral that goes in, they, again, it goes back to communication again. Uh, I worked with a great team, and they were very, able to sit down and explain, this is why uh, it's important. This is why we need all, all the history we can get. Mm. Um, this, uh, and then the decision is made after that if you know, they don't draw blood or do a swab test before they talk to the patient. 
So they spend half an hour to 45 minutes talking to the patient about genetics. Before they get the genetics. Before, and then that's when the patient gets to decide whether or not they want to do this or not. So that's excellent it, information. I don't. I think didn't most, know that. Yeah, most people I don't Mm-mm. think know that. So Mm-mm. you meet with a genetics counselor first, and they um, they gather your history prior to the appointment. So once the appointment's made, they'll send a questionnaire to you, and you do your very you know I would help patients by if they called me with questions, I would tell them, tell us everything you know. You know, if there's gaps, that's okay. Mm-hmm. But tell us about grandma. Tell us yeah. about aunt, you know, so-and-so. Tell us about your sister. Anything you can gather, mm-hmm. both sides. Mm-hmm. And bring all that, you know, fill that. Make sure we've got a complete, as complete as possible history prior to your appointment. The genetics council reviews that before meeting with you. They know what touch points they need to talk about. Um, that You know, they talk about risks and benefits of genetic testing. And then after that consultation, the decisions made, you want to go forward. And then, you know, if they choose to, and nine times out of 10, they would, most often they would. And uh, results usually take about two weeks. I feel another podcast coming on with oh, a genetics I gonna, counselor. Yeah. Oh, I have yeah. lots of friends that. Um, I think we're going to ask colleagues. for a referral. That'd be so <laughs> I know. Funny. I just called them friends. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My, I, I know amazing. They're, they're amazing. They and, really are. And yeah. it's such a new field for people mm-hmm. that the average individual who's not in the I didn't know it existed until you told me about it. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's really important. Yeah. That, let, let me ask you a question. Um, and I really just, this is kind of my last question. So if there's anything that you want to ask as we start wrapping up, because we do say this from time to time with guests, like we would like to have multiple podcasts with them. Okay. With you, I think it would be really interesting because a lot of times podcasts become so defined that people forget the idea is it's supposed to be a conversation. Sure. It's not supposed to be a promotional at the end, plug your thing. Now, sometimes you have that with a product or whatever, but mm-hmm. What I like is with you, we can discuss the ongoing journey. Sure. You know, and if it the journey ends with you like, yeah, I've decided I'm just I'm gonna retire. <laughs> All of that yeah. conversation isn't wasted because sure. I'm telling you, there are tens of thousands of people right now, if not more, doing this from the medical industry. Everywhere mm-hmm. I go, people there's, there's a certain groups of people who aren't shifting, and then there's a lot of people who are typically viewed in the support yes. role right. that are like, man, I've got to do something else. Yeah. And I think it came with the decimation of community around what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Like, I can heal, I can help these people, I can take action, but if you're going to remove my support system and my family she and my camp that. and my right. team. Yeah. So now you've got all these people that are just out. Yes. They're still healers. Right. They understand the system in a way that I wouldn't. So here's my big question. That was the longest okay. setup ever. Okay. <laughs> Let's pretend like we don't okay. have your knowledge and your right. access to people. Let's pretend we don't have your knowledge. And Patty, I'm pointing to Patty too. I'm just a regular person. Mm-hmm. My mom calls me and says, we're coming full circle. She yeah. got the phone call. Right. They want me to come back in. You know most people that get the call, they want me to come back in. The vast majority of people instantly assume they have cancer right right? oh yes and the mental and emotional process starts yes from the phone call i would think Mm -hmm. for them is there a system out there regardless of what your cancer is regardless of your money is there a place that i can go to what the hell do i do dot com that will give me 
a progress list of, hey, make sure you got this with your mom. Do you have this? Do you, is there anything out there mm-hmm. for the completely disconnected, not within the medical system, not within a hospital, yes. where I can go figure out the path yes. for this? Do you know if that resource even exists? Absolutely, I do. Okay. So the, what I would tell you is that um, as a medical professional, mm-hmm. you know, you can type in what the hell to do cancer (laughs) right right and that's going to take you to websites that you know there could be 50 out there but as a medical professional i would advise you not to do that correct because um you can get into trouble Mm -hmm. and um we i would only recommend evidence-based scientific websites um as a registered oncology nurse sure so i get i would get asked this question often and my answer would be yes if because i would have patients that would tell me erin i'm a professor you know i'm not really a talker i want to read about this Mm. well i've got the you know we've got um resources for you but here's some more the national comprehensive cancer network has a fabulous website and it has a patient resource section with literally a book on every type of cancer and it's all evidence-based and it's written at a level that anyone can understand. Um, do you happen to know that website address? NCCN.org. NCCN.org. It stands for the national comprehensive cancer network. Thank you. Sure. And, and then the listeners, thank you. Yes, you're welcome. And the other one that I would recommend is uh, the American Society of Clinical Oncology. Um, okay. It's a fabulous website, up-to-date, evidence-based information, and patient resources. And one of the things I really like about this site is they have a section on questions to ask. Mm. So I would steer my patients to this site and say, pay particular attention to Questions to ask when you meet with the medical oncologist. Questions to ask when you meet with the breast surgeon. Questions to ask when you meet with radiation oncologists. And that website is cancer.net. Erin, this is especially yep. important because I have several friends who are asking all of these questions. In fact, I got an email from a colleague who I know she sent it to you as well. Yes. All of these questions are going to be answered at these sites that you're referencing. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then the last one, well, there's several but these were always my go-to the last one is the american cancer society they have a fabulous website all these sites are uh, kept up to date with accurate information um they are cancer.org and um so yes that some of those questions there you know you can you can get broad information but then you can uh, get specific about what type of cancer it is and um, there's, you know, and, and the great thing about these sites too, they lead you to other resources, depending on what you're looking for. So if chemo is in your future, mm-hmm. which in breast cancer, not every woman needs chemotherapy. Right. If they do, um, and, uh, they want more information about their, uh, the chemo that they'll be getting mm-hmm. chemo care, um, is a fabulous website. One of the only ones that I would recommend, okay. but again, uh, you know, if you're working with a team that you have communication, clarity, and trust in, <laughs> there's, a <you're>, team here. <laughs> there's a person on the team mm-hmm. that uh, will speak to you about mm-hmm. you, the drugs we're giving you mm-hmm. and answer all your questions. And you have a chemo class before you start. So I was very fortunate because I live in a large city 
and I worked for large institutions that I had these resources at Mm -hmm. my fingertips where I would tell patients, you're going to be meeting with a nurse practitioner who's going to be talking to you about this. Mm -hmm. Or um, you're going to be meeting with our oncology pharmacist who specializes in all these drugs. So so that's where I would steer you if what the hell am I going to do? I would ask you first... um, what, what is it that if you're looking for information, that's what I would talk about is, uh, you know, where to get it. Mm-hmm. And then um, the importance of the three things we talked about earlier. And then what else are you looking for? Some people may say, Aaron, I've, I, I know for a fact that I'm going to need a support group. Oh, yeah. You know, and support groups aren't for everyone. Right. And so how to find the right support group. How to find financial assistance. Mm-hmm. That's big. Cancer right. causes finan- what we call, there's a term, financial toxicity of cancer. It's huge. Wow. You know, I've literally had patients tell me, we will sell the farm, Aaron, you know, if we have to. Mm-hmm. Well, no, you probably don't want to do that. Yeah. Because we need to talk about what you're worried about, what your financial situation is. And there's organizations out there that will, you know, we can mm-hmm. connect you with those. That's why we have phenomenal social workers on right. our team. Right. Because social workers are the secret in the recipe. I'm telling you that mm-hmm. right now. They are. So would you go down the list of the professions you have sure. on your team? Because you've mentioned social workers. Yes. You've mentioned genetics counselors. Give us an idea of how many people and what professions they specialize in. Okay. So I love this question because this is where, what the hell am I going to do? I keep swearing because I love the way you said that because I literally have had people say that to me. Seems like that's what I would say for but sure. But that's such a beginning you're going to be. Uh, okay mm-hmm. in this process because when patients ask me questions uh, that's so important the ones that don't ask questions are the ones that I worry about mm-hmm. so asking that question opens up a whole um, you know a whole uh, I don't know even what to call it well it's, they're it, asking it, you to give them guidance right yeah. and and it opens doors to yeah. okay what what exactly, let's talk about what, like, if finances is, is, is something you're concerned yeah. about. Yeah. That's where you have your social worker. Okay. So, again, as a navigator, I'm a conduit. I know I need to get social work involved immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm struggling. What, this is not fair. My, um, you know, I, I, this happened to me because I haven't been to church in 10 years. I had a fallout with God over, right. you know, so therefore I'm being punished. Yeah. I need spiritual support involved in this. Mm-hmm. That's where we pull our chaplains in. Um, they are key to not only the patients, but they're also key to the staff because I was, I benefited from, they, they don't just take care of patients. They take care of everybody. Right. Yeah. Good point. They take care of the, the and the you team. know, yes. So you've got um, dietitians that are oncology certified dietitians. Mm-hmm. And when you think about the body as a system, if you have a GI cancer, what we call a gastrointestinal cancer, or stomach cancer, mm-hmm. you need a dietitian involved because at some point, nine times out of 10, you're going to have problems, right. whether right. it be after surgery, whether it be during chemo, um, our head and neck cancers struggle because they get uh, radiation to their mm. to their you know their head and neck, right. and they have difficulty swallowing. Yeah. That's a big issue. 
some of the smartest people I also work with are the oncology certified dietitians. So, so quick question about mm-hmm. the dietitians. Can other cancer patients who do not have that area benefit? Like could a breast cancer patient benefit from the dietitian by certain foods they avoid or certain foods they include? Correct. Yes. And, um, and the team I worked with, we had such a large population of various cancers that obviously the the GI, the um, head and neck, they get immediate attention because that's an immediate issue is we've got to make sure they get the right nutritional support they need. But breast cancer patients, you know, they, I would never discount if someone wanted to talk to me about, okay, what do I need to stop eating? I've heard that sugar feeds cancer. I've heard that I'm not supposed to drink wine anymore. I've heard, and a lot of this is basic information that I can help with, but Mm -hmm. they, they also put on, um, seminar. There's all kinds of educational series that they do. So if you're with a a large cancer center, they have those programs in place, ask about it. So there's, you know, they do, with one of the institutions I worked with had them twice a year, six week series focusing just on nutrition and uh, how to read labels, what to avoid, um, you know, uh, things that you've heard that mm-hmm. may not necessarily be true or not, dispelling those types Can non- of things. cancer patients attend these? Um, uh, we would invite if family wanted to intend, to yeah, attend, sure. That's what yes, they can. Yeah. Absolutely. Because oftentimes it's a caregiver that's, that's what I'm making the meals. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yes, yeah. yes, for sure. So, uh, and you have your genetics counselors. Um, I feel like I'm, you've, of course, you have uh, navigator. Yes. Your psychologist, your navigators, mm-hmm. you have, um, your physicians, of course, um, and then the physicians, the providers w- will always have a team of clinic nurses as well. Um, so, you know, that's a, a whole nother yeah. amazing group. Well, and, and the meds are being custom made. Correct. Right? Yes. So you've got that. What's the person? Not the meds. The pharmacist. Yes, the pharmacist. Yeah. Absolutely. You've got your oncology certified pharmacist. You know, it's a whole team. Yeah. And so if patients don't know that they have all these resources and they don't know to ask the questions, then, you know, it's unfortunate because all this could be there had. So one of the things that I, that's why being a good listener for me was so important Mm -hmm. because I need to know, therefore I can talk about some of the ways we can help you. Right. And, um, we started doing new patient classes where we would offer them every two weeks on a Friday afternoon just okay here's where you park here's where you can eat if you have a long day here's resources if you want to read mm-hmm. here's an organization we can connect you with if you want to have a buddy during your journey right. you know those are all the things that are really important that patients wouldn't know unless we told them yeah yeah so let me ask you unless you have a, a question because <laughs> this is another last question for yeah, you. yeah this is my last this is my last last <laughs> okay so i think for our listeners um and it's a little bit putting you on the spot but i think you can do it what is a very practical i'd like to get a really practical tip for anyone that's listening mm-hmm. that's going through cancer whether it's them or their family or whatever like a really practical practical tip that can make the process so much easier if there's anything that you can think of like you've already given several um 
But I was thinking, you know, I'd like to do this towards the end, a really practical tip that'll just help in their day to day. And then also from your perspective, something that's a little more, I don't, I don't mean motivational, but if you can speak to the emotional aspect of this, Mm -hmm. like what do people need super practical and super emotional in order to have the best shot and the best amount of hope where they're at. Does that question make sense? Oh yeah, it makes perfect sense. So the, the first part of that, I would say it's a marathon, not a sprint. Okay. So pace yourself. Yeah. You have to pace yourself. Okay. And especially in breast cancer, some oftentimes women, you know, they'll call and say, okay, when can I get my surgery? Uh, you know, the, uh, the knee jerk reaction is I'm going to need surgery. I want it now. And that's not how we treat breast cancer. Hmm. We, there's five different types of breast cancer. They're all treated differently. Um, you may benefit from having a treatment prior to surgery. Uh, you're going to meet with a medical oncologist. This is going to be talked about. Um, just slow down. So you get patients that are like, all right, if this is happening, I want to do it now. Oh, yes. get it over with. Oh, I want it yes. out. I mean, that's the reaction. I want this out of my body. It's like a yes. looming, the dread is building, I guess. And it's always a shock for someone to find out that if they're a candidate for neo, what we call neoadjuvant chemotherapy prior to surgery, um, based on what type of cancer they have and how aggressive it is, et cetera, then we're talking four to six months prior to even surgery, you're mm. going to be in treatment. Mm. And then you're going to have surgery. And depending on what that looks like, whether it's, yeah. um, you know, a lumpectomy followed by six weeks of radiation. And then depending on if it's hormone-based cancer or not, you may be on a treatment for five to 10 years afterwards. So getting that idea of this is not a quick fix, you know, because um, there's a tendency to think I have cancer and I need to get it out, mm. right? Mm. And that's not the that's not how we treat breast cancer. Um, so that would be my uh, first very advice. practical. Yes, just set your mindset and know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then emotional, I would say my best advice would be you have to um, take what people try to give you with um, caution Mm. and because as human beings we tend to especially family like what I'm probably doing right now with my family member is you want to get in you want to fix it you want to bring the king ranch casserole Mm -hmm. you want to you know (laughs) you know what I'm saying yeah and um, that know what you need Mm. and that's what I would tell a, a a lot, oftentimes I would tell my patients, know what you need and be able to uh, verbalize that so that you're, because everyone's going to want to dive in and Get do. involved and help. And, and sometimes that's not the best thing. Yeah. Sometimes just, you know, having that time to process, mm-hmm. having time to rest, you don't want a million visitors. Yeah. Also, Aaron, I think a lot of times people want to say, well, my sister had cancer, I had cancer, and then they start telling you what happened to them or what yeah. they think you oh, should yeah. be doing. Oh, here's what's going to happen next. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, so do you tell your patients to just oh, stop yeah. that right away and say I thank do. you for your interest, yeah. but hey, put a pin in it? And I literally have them practice, practice with me. 
Okay, how are you going to respond to that? Good. Yeah. It's almost like sitting in a OBGYN office, and it's your now, D- Darren. You can't relate to this. Yeah, I haven't. This haven't is, had this that. Is a, yeah, this is not a woman. this lifetime. But go ahead. <laughs> this is a woman thing, but you know, here you are sitting pregnant with your first baby, and there's a mom in the same waiting room, and she's on her fourth, mm. and so yeah. she, oh, it's no big yeah. deal. Oh, girl. Yeah. Or you have your other one that's oh my god, I almost died the last time. <laughs> the ambulance barely made it right, into that you right. know it's the same way in yeah. cancer yeah. you don't you just want to be able to dissolve what needs to be dissolved and um, add to what you need yeah. and um, I think that you know making that a front and center for a patient mm-hmm. is really important because I think they're going to do better knowing that you've given them permission to right. say, even like sites like Caring Bridge, set up a Caring Bridge mm-hmm. so people, so you have a way to communicate with all these people that are text messaging you and calling ah, you three and four times a day. Okay. Set up a Caring Bridge. Put little updates on there. Set up a sign-up genius right. where people can sign up to bring you a meal if, let's say, you're having surgery, yeah. whatnot. Um, this way, people can still help, but you're kind of in control of how that's how that is all happening. Right. That's smart. That's good wisdom yeah. too. Just this put systems great. in place. But I already forgot the one you just said. Not uh, sign up, but the other one. It's a marathon, not a sprint. No, no. the the oh, sign up for Caring Bridge. Caring Bridge. Caring Bridge. Okay. Yeah, it's a fabulous website. It is a and great website. Some yeah. of my family and friends have. That's awesome. Done that. Yeah, and That's you can awesome. put you can put pictures on there and mm-hmm. just and then, update of the journey. And then you don't have the guilt of, as a patient of you're pushing people away because you're really not. It's just that you've got to preserve your energy for what you're dealing with, right? Absolutely. And so you don't want to push people away. You're still inviting them in because you're allowing people information, knowing this is what's happening now, you know, so um, you don't have to worry about how you're making others feel. It's not about others right now. right. Or it may be, but you need to, like, filter that a little bit. Right, right. So... And this is the real finesse, everybody's experience. There's so many variables, the relationships in their life, the the money in their life. That's why I'm fascinated by this idea of navigating people through all of this, you know? Um, And I'm just going to close out saying it. it just seems like there is a need for a third party Mm -hmm. system that you can go to that's like, here's the path. And yes. wherever you're on the path, we're going to just match the resources of wherever you're at on that path. Right. And we're just seeing a lot of people from so many backgrounds trying to get the information to people easier. Yes. You know, and I, I deeply respect your level of compassion. You Thank know, you. Obviously. But it's exciting to know you on this journey. If there's any way that we can help you in any way, just let us know. Well, you know, I mean, this being is really able to exciting. talk today was really helpful. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's uncomfortable for me to say right now that I'm taking a pause and reset. It's getting easier for mm-hmm. me to say it. Yeah. Um, but just having this opportunity to share and, um, you know, that's a, you've helped me already. Good. This, I, good. I think yeah. that this totally coincides with the mental health, medical health, spiritual health mm-hmm. notion that channels of health is really doing. Yeah. And your pause and reset is for your mental health so that you can get figured right. out what the next chapter is going to be. I oh, don't yeah. see you retiring right now. I really do see you 
finding something else to do. So this is the mental health day that you need. This is your pause and reset. Yeah, so thank you. Embrace yeah. it. Well oh, yes. you'll come back stronger. Yeah, yeah thank you. I don't you. really think you're going to be doing nothing in the, in oh, the no, pause no. anyway. I've got my little to-do list today. Uh -huh. but, you know, yeah, you don't strike me as a sit-around, yeah, do-nothing no. kind of so, uh, gal. While you're pausing, is this costing your husband money? Actually, um, <laughs> I'm not a big shopper. So uh, right now, no. Mm -hmm. But depending on what we'll my see next, what happens. What, what, depending on what my next project <laughs> right, is, right? I, I'm a project person. So there you go. Yeah. So uh, actually, I'm looking at an area of my landscape right now. You know, I'm a master mm -hmm. gardener, so I like to get in there and figure out. Okay, what can yeah. we do to beautify this area? Yep. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It, it even but, needs it, but yeah, you can so do that, more. That yeah. could cost him. There you you go. know. Yeah. Aaron, we so, could go on for another hour, yeah. but I know we all have other commitments that we need to attend. Yes. But I do want to extend an invitation for you to return. For sure. We'll be talking more about you regarding the documentary that mm -hmm. we talked about. Mm -hmm. and, okay. And I'm very sincere. I would like to get some of the other specialists and get some referrals from some dynamic, wonderful leaders that you've worked with. Yeah. Well, and, and the benefit of living in a place like Dallas, Texas, is we do have resources in this city. Absolutely. Fabulous resources, and knowing what those are and knowing where to go um, is really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I think uh, that would be wonderful. Yeah. And we will share some of those resources sure. with our sure. listeners. I know they will yes. care no doubt. to know this. No doubt. So. Well, listeners, we uh, we deeply love you and appreciate you uh, sitting in with us and listening. Be sure that you check us out at channelsofhealth.com. Listen to our other podcast, and we will see you. Thank you for listening to Channels of Health. We're so glad you've joined us today. To find out more about our mission and to connect with Channels of Health, go to www.channelsofhealth.com. And you can email us directly at info at channelsofhealth.com. We look forward to our next episode with you. Until then, be well.